Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. This is the Gospel Addict Podcast. We are delighted today to have Jesse Cruikshank, who just wrote a book called Ordinary Discipleship. And this is a, a topic that Jim and I are both passionate about. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. And we hear the word discipleship tossed around all the time in the Christian faith. But I think Jesse has some really fascinating things to share with us on this podcast. So we're we're great to have you. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thanks for having Good. me. You know, I think a, a, an appropriate place to start would be just tell our audience who, uh, who you are. Tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey. Yeah, so parts of that story are interesting and parts of the story are boring. The boring part is that I gave my life to the Lord when I was three years old and I was raised in church and I don't have like BC days. I just, you know, I've got no excuse for my bad behavior. I was a Christian all along. So just redemption, the faithfulness of God. Um, but I've known I wanted to be a minister since I was five. Most people would go to kindergarten and they would be like, what do you want to do with your life? And they're like, I want to be a fireman or a doctor. And I'm like, I want to be a missionary to Indonesia. Because um, I'm just different, made differently, I guess. But um, went... Uh, yeah, raised in church. Um, but somehow that passion, you know, that passion kind of waned due to some church hurt um, in my teenage years and um, actually got kicked out of our church because I was a female who felt called to ministry. So by the time I go to college, I'm studying botany, which is plants. I'm studying physiology and, and, and secondary science education. So I'm going to be a high school teacher. And um and instead of applying for a job, the Lord said, called me back into full-time ministry, called me into full-time ministry. He said, you know, I didn't change my mind about that. So I started and helped build a wilderness um, guiding program that takes uh, adults into the backcountry of Wyoming and different parts of the West for 40 days, 40 nights, and uses it as a deep immersion discipleship place experience. So it's kind of like YWAM only stateside. Um, and like I said, 40 days, 40 nights with technical rock climbing, technical snow mountaineering, uh, 150 miles backpacking. And there we taught people how to be disciple makers. And um, I've taught maybe about in when I left the ministry, the Lord moved me on uh, in 2013. I, by that time, I trained about 4000 people to be disciple makers in groups of eight to 15. Wow. So. Are you telling me that you would backpack 150 miles in 40 day period? Well, no, that was only um, 25 days. We still had 10. We started with 10 days rock climbing, um, a few days of snow school training. And then the backpacking part, there was, you know, there's a solo in there, two day solo and a high altitude attempt of a peak. And yeah, so, yeah. So, so Jesse, how many times did you do, did you do this? Cause I'm thinking for your participants, this was the trip of a lifetime. They would tell people forever. You won't believe I backpacked how many, what I did. And you, you did, you just did that again and again and again. 
So, How many so times technically I was, I was one of the directors and okay. I trained the staff to do this. So where my best fit was three weeks at a time training the staff. And I would do two of those a year, plus whatever week long courses were for, um, you know, for all women's or father and family or different uh, youth programs that would come. So I've easily spent oh, more, and this was just guiding, like that's not personal expeditions with high altitude climbing that I would do with my dad, but I've easily spent over a thousand nights on the ground. Wow. Easily. I have the body to prove it. My body keeps the score. It didn't read First Corinthians 13. That's <laughs> amazing. And then you did all this before you went to Harvard, right? For your master's. Yeah. So I uh, went again, the Lord just like, I, I have plans for my life and the Lord always has a different plan. And um, I felt literally led to go to apply for a program at Harvard when I was 30 and I got in and it um, it's called mind, brain and education. So it was an education degree, but it was neuroscience, cognitive psychology and learning environments. So the science of how the brain learns and changes. But was it really interesting about that is that I had been applying research to practice to the work that we did at the discipleship um, school for over a decade, because for me, I wanted to have one conversation with somebody and have it change their eternity. So I wanted to know how to have those catalytic conversations. I wanted to know how to teach them how to self to self arrest and stop with an ice axe once and have them remember it two weeks later at the moment that their life depended on it. So I became very interested in how the brain learned and had been reading a lot and applying that. And we actually built a model of framework of how the brain changes and how to teach based on biology um, at the at the wilderness program. So I take that to Harvard thinking that they're going to fix it. And they're like, you're applying research to practice. We're still debating that. So I've actually published that academically, uh, presented at Harvard a few times in that program. This this model that was how the Lord taught us. I, I mean, really, it's Bible and biology showed us how to teach people for transformation. So just kind of wow. backwards. So um, I think this all ties in with, you know, the book you wrote, Ordinary Discipleship. Um, how did why did you decide to write the book? Um, I was asked to write the book, but I have this passion that most, you know, having spent 10 years in the wilderness teaching thousands of people to be disciple makers, and then I end up, up in my 30s in denominational leadership and teaching pastors and realizing that the that they don't know how to teach people how to be disciple makers. So there's books out there on discipleship that either look like spiritual disciplines or systematic theology. And there's some books on how to be a mentor, how to be a disciple maker, but they're written to leadership. So it's, here's how I run my small group, and here's how I run my house church, or here's how I, um, you know, lead a process from a position of organizational leadership. But there's nothing out there on how to be a disciple maker written to the everyday person, follower of Jesus, that looks at the relational dynamic between the disciple and the um, person being discipled. So I wanted, there was just a huge gap and I had been doing it for a long time. So I'm like, okay, let's get this, let's get this out there into the world. Jesse, I'm really fascinated by this neuroscience angle that you're talking about that you were, you were developing before you went to Harvard, it sounds like. You really had the kind of experience in the field and took it there instead of learning it there. 
uh, from them. But tell me about that, because uh, the way you described it was really interesting a moment ago, look, understanding how the brain works, how the brain processes information, learns things, and applying that to discipleship. And I think that's a big part of what the book's about. So tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, so there are easy ways to change the brain and hard ways. And unfortunately, a lot of our discipleship methods use the hard way, which is where I memorize something and I'm going to think about something really hard. And it's kind of a top-down method. And it was a really, really high forgetting rate. Like, you're not going to remember it tomorrow, most of it, like 95%. And it's all going to be gone by the weekend. Like, barely any of it slash none of it lasts to, to a week. Okay, so that means that we can waste a lot of time. And the brain is just going to dump it. And it's not going to ask you your permission about that. It's just like, ah, eh, never mind. But there's a different way. We have a a, a type of long-term memory called autobiographical memory. And this is the memory of our story and it's a memory of our identity and it's interconnected with our body and, and our whole body remembers our story. And if we teach discipleship to that, if we learn how to be a disciple there, then our brain automatically hangs on to it. It automatically transforms us. Like, like that doesn't have to be work. That just happens from the inside out because that's how God created us to transform. And also fascinatingly, the the type of data fact memory system can't project into the future. It can't apply it to your life, but autobiographical memory automatically applies to your life because the way you remember your past is the way you think about your future. So if we learn in that memory system, not only does it automatically change our story, change our identity, but we also automatically apply it to our future. And so we can live out the obedience that we're learning. We do it the hard way, the school way, um, it's nothing really changes us. And in fact, it may even like inoculate us. Yeah. Well, I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I'm probably guilty of doing that, doing it the school way. Um, you know, in, uh, the 26 years I've been in full-time ministry, um, a lot of scripture memory, which, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it is, it can be effective. Um, but I, I really am interested in what you're saying. Can you give us some real life examples? Like, um, you can, you don't have to share people's names if you, unless you're, you know, you can make up their name or whatever, but tell us, tell us some, some real life examples of what you're talking about here. Sure. So it, it really has to do with the order. So memorization of scripture isn't bad, but it has to be within the context of the lesson God is walking us through. So I've discipled life on life, a number of people. I have about three I have at any one time. And so one person I was disciple discipling um, was facing the decision about whether or not to take a job. And we walked through that, but, you know, was it a fear decision? Was it a faith decision and kind of unpacking their how they were feeling about it and why they would choose to, to do that or not do it. And so they, at the end of our conversation, they weren't sure, but I could point them to some scripture to go to, to kind of read, to help them further discern, is that a fear choice or a faith choice? So, so the scripture and the disciplines come in to service of the lesson and trying to um, trying to lean into the lesson that God is teaching them. So it's, it's about the order. It's not about, we don't need we don't need those types of learning. They just have to be connected to something that we're walking through, and then they make all the sense in the world, and they're extremely impactful. Are you talking about like um, it sounds like you're almost like you're speaking into a crisis or a uh, 
a trial that somebody's going to, and you're just bringing the truth of the scripture to, into that trial at the right time so that they will never forget. Um, and I and, and I think we can all have that experience where certain verses of scripture, somebody just spoke to us at the at a moment of trial um, that just stick with us. Um, you know, I, I one of my favorite verses is, I have a lot of favorite verses, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And it, God brings that scripture uh, to me a lot of times at one of those crisis points. So it, is is that part of what you're talking about? Is like you walk with people life to life. And then because all of us are either in a trial or we're coming out of a trial or we're going to get ready to go into another trial. You know, yeah, I think God is faithful that life presents enough curriculum. And if yes. we and if it's not, maybe that means we get to sit in the cool grass by the still water and have a minute. And I don't want to steal that away from them. They don't they come so rarely. Let's take a pause if God's given us a pause. And so when you do the when you were doing you started out with this outdoor experience stuff, and that's that's a perfect example of like taking people out of their comfort zone and um you're you're almost putting them for into a trial <laughs> into a trial. I mean, let's face it, like, where am I going to go to the bathroom? Where, how does this, you know, uh, when are we eating next? You know, how are we going to yes. get up this hill? I mean, you're, I, I imagine that that's part of the reason why people were so, this was so transformational because uh, you're you're pushing the limits of, of people. Um, so do you have any other examples that, that you'd like to share that come to mind? Um, you know, one with the one of the individuals, um, and this is a story I tell in the book, she came um, as an instructor for the wilderness ministry and then felt like she was supposed to come on staff. And um, and as you as you experience that, like the the ability to live with one another and seeing one another um, and experiencing that much of one another things start to uh, be revealed. Right. So it takes about 12 to 18 months for the the honeymoon, not just the honeymoon, but like to begin to see some of the core issues in another person's life. And so um, this is the story of Cynthia in the book. And she she got to this point where she was really struggling and, and we finally had permission to because we waited for the Lord's timing, right? God's eyes, God's heart, God's tone, God's timing are all important and they have to come together to say something because otherwise you're just out of his will. Um, so those all merged about 12 months in and kind of confronted her on some of her selfish behavior. And she's she's a 30-year-old woman. She's an adult. And she had lived her life. And nobody had really seen enough of her life that up close to be able to talk to her about this and cared enough about her to like hold space with her till it was time to say something. And, you know, we kind of had one of those uncomfortable conversations um, about her selfishness. And she took a minute, she took a day to think about it. And that's appropriate. 50% of the people don't come back after that hard conversation. They're like, tap out. But 50% of them lean into the moment and the community that's provided and says, yeah, I'll let God recreate me here and, and redeem my heart in this space. And so she spent the next week apologizing face-to-face -to, -face to different people that, that God had showed her that she had been selfish towards. So she kind of did that over the next week, super painful for her, right? Super emotional, 
super redemptive. I mean, repentance is a miracle. Even in the brain, repentance is a miracle. And then she spent about um, 12, 18 months walking out that journey with the community helping her live into the new self, right? Because we can be redeemed, but what does it mean to re- to change our habits and, and, and repair with people? So she comes out of that over the next 12 to 18 months. And then and then the, her season there was over and the Lord moved her to, to a different job in wonderful celebration. So that's kind of the longer journey of what it's like to, to walk with someone through a season, but you gotta, you gotta spend long enough to get to the real deep thing that God is trying to do. And I think sometimes we can have shallow experiences, people, because we're stuck in curriculum and we're following that. And maybe we miss the deeper, harder thing that God wants to redeem in each other's life. So it's just a little personal opinion there. So one of the things you uh, talk about is discipleship is an adventure. And I really like that because so often discipleship is a program, right? It's, it's you know, a six-week discipleship program or a 12-week discipleship program or a two-year discipleship program. But uh, I like the idea of discipleship as an adventure. Can you describe? you know, talk more about that. And I think that's, you're, you're already talking about it, but uh, anything else you want to add to just that, that concept? Yeah, I think just trying to change the life of being a disciple from something that looks like school. I mean, most people don't like school. I like school, but I have like everybody else around me doesn't like school. So if being a disciple looks like that, then we're missing 80% because statistically only about 20% of people do well in school. So, you know, I, I think an adventure captures the heartbeat of God in there. Um, I think he wants us to celebrate it. It's not, it's not supposed to look like a painful duty, not that there aren't times for faithfulness and discipline, but we should understand that there's a prize. There's an adventure. There's, um, there's a reason for all of that. And it's not to prove that we love Jesus enough by, you know, walking through the painful stuff. It's, to experience him in radical, amazing ways. So I think it just helps recapture not only what it's like, but what we could get out of it. So, so Jesse, I'm just uh, impressed listening to you. Just uh, It sounds like so much of what you're doing is trying to make scripture and scriptural biblical principles really relevant in people's lives. So they're not just like book learning, like some of you, like you just talked about people who do really well in school, 20% of people like that kind of thing, but but for everybody, for the ordinary person to make it really touch down and be super relevant for their life in the story of their life. And then one of the things in your book that you talk about is the hero's journey. And I think our, our listeners may not be familiar with that whole concept at all. Maybe you could introduce the concept because that's been out there for a while, but what the hero's journey is, and then talk about how you work that into your book. Yeah. Um, I love the hero's journey. So in my personal, you know, passion of trying to help how people change and grow, I became very interested in not what's different from person to person, but what's the same from person to person? Like what are the universals? Because I needed somewhere to start. Sure. (laughs) So, right. So one of those universals is actually the hero's journey. So the hero's journey is this storyline that exists in every culture within humanity across the planet. So it it's it's not an American thing or a North American thing. It's it's in every culture. OK, so that's fascinating just by itself. Um, but the story uh, pattern was identified 
by a guy named Joseph Campbell in 1950. And it's, it's the pattern of the epic adventure. So most movies, if not all movies, follow this now. Um, started in the 90s when Disney reinvented itself. So you have an ordinary person, they're called to an adventure, they reject the call, but then circumstances move them to accept the call, like who knows what circumstance, right? You can fill in any type of link here. Then they have a mentor, they end have friends and allies, and they kind of like learn how to do things with these with, they fr with their friends. They learn new things and there are little trials and little spats and you know, you're kind of building tension through these different mini adventures. And then you get to like the big trial. And in order for this per this normal person to um, go through the big trial, like something about them has to change. They have to realize something, have an aha moment. You know, it's an abyss or it's like teamwork, all different ways that that they could have their massive aha moment. And they do. And then there's like this reward prize, you know, some sort of like a thing that made it worth it. And then they go back home and they're no longer an ordinary person, they're a hero because they've been on the hero's journey. And I love that they go back home and they are changed, but circumstance, you know, but where they came from isn't. And I love that that usually sets up the sequel, right? So now are they going to be the hero <laughs> the back home? The sequel yeah, that yeah. never does as well as the original. <laughs> the empire has Skip to strike that. Go to three, go to the right. third. So that's the hero's journey. And um, in the wilderness with the with the people that we would take on this adventure, we would tell them the hero's journey about it the very beginning, before we left out for the wilderness. And we would like would we would do this exercise. I map out the hero's journey of the Israelites. Map out the hero's journey of Jesus. Map out the hero's journey of Peter. So that they could see that there's this pattern, that that it's a pattern that God created. And I believe he put it in our hearts that we recognize it because it is the outline and the map of the journey of discipleship so that we can always know the way, even if we don't know what we're doing. Hmm. So it resonates in our soul on purpose. So I use the hero's journey as the outline of the book to help a disciple maker know the journey that they're mentoring and taking the disciple on as a guide. Well, that's fascinating. So you use that hero's journey in the uh, wilderness uh, ministry you were doing before so, so that people could see, understand what it is. And you didn't do it at the end to say, aha, you've just been on the wilderness journey. Does it surprise somehow? You set it up up front so they would have that as the paradigm through which they saw the entire adventure experience and could see their life through those through those eyes. And um, so- Even it, it language like, to process it. Yeah, right. Okay. And it sounds like you've seen your, have you seen your own life through that, that lens as well? Yeah, I, I see multiple cycles. Yeah, okay. multiple cycles. Each season has its own hero's journey. Each season has its aha moment of what I think God is trying to recreate in me and redeem in me. Um, so the, that's kind of what I track. Not okay. not the you can track the little things, but I kind of look at it as bigger bigger storylines. So, so where are you in at in your hero's so, journey? Where are you at in your hero's journey now? Which in now? this cycle? In this cycle. I just answered the call to a new adventure. Wow. So you're I'm the having beginning friends of a new and one. teammates and I don't know what my lesson is. Hey, that's a that's a good place to be though. You're you know. 
that is pretty cool, especially because you've experienced God's faithfulness in the past, right? As you've kind of gone through the process. So I think the book parallels your the mission of the organization that maybe you're talking about. Is is this what you're talking about? The your organization, Whoology. Maybe tell tell our listeners about that and um, how it connects with the book. And yeah, yeah. So um, due to unfortunate circumstances in 2020. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else had unfortunate circumstances in 2020. 2020 was a um, great year. No, you know, actually, I think it's going to be like a swear word. We're going to say that's a 2020, <laughs> you know. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Um, I, you know, found myself at the bottom of myself, which is not the first time in my life, but it probably won't be the last. But in any of those moments, I asked the Lord, uh, language can vary, but what are you doing and what do you want from me? And um, I felt led to take the the book that I was writing and make it more accessible. Not not the not the book more accessible, but like like build something around that. So I just started doing that. I found somebody to help coach me on how to do some marketing stuff because I don't know. And she ended up being my business partner and we started Whoology together. So using, using the things that I have taught uh, both regular people and pastors and cause I coach churches and denominations on the side and um, yeah, just putting that out there so that it was accessible. So, okay, so let's, let's just talk about the name Whoology. How'd you come up yeah. with that? So I want, I think, I think it's good that things ask a question and I want the question to be who, who are you discipling? Who is discipling you? And so when, so that, you know, that motivates you, who, who are you discipling? And um, yeah, so the ology, cause I'm a nerd scientist and ology is part of every nerd scientist word. Awesome. And for listeners, because this is audio only, who is W-H-O-ology, not H-O-O-ology, just so everyone gets that straight. That's true. And, no owls in this company. That's right. No owls. So it's uh, something someone Googles whoology, they can find your website? Yeah. Just remember to keep both O's. So it's W-H-O-O-L-O-G-Y dot C-O. Great. Got it. That's cool. Awesome. And you also have a website for the book, right? Is it ordinarydiscipleship.com? Yes. I would encourage our listeners to uh, check out that website, both websites, because you, you have some good information there. You can download the first chapter of Jesse's book. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode and remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace, and on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.